as well. So tonight, once again in the book of Acts and learning about the early church, learning about the Spirit of God moving in the midst of his people, also seeing, as we studied last week, you see some of the issues that are going on within the church, not just the Gentile situation, but you see how even leaders, they have differences of opinions and things going on, but either way, they are still advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that shows me is that even in the early church, God was long-suffering with his people, that God you know, even looks within us and he sees maybe something that uh, he might say, well, I wish that even that person could, could grow and become, you know, what, what they need to be. And God is continuing to work on them and to tweak them. But regardless of the situation, the heart's desire, the heart's desire was to see that Jesus Christ was preached throughout the known world. And so we're going to continue that tonight as we are sharing now, whenever we left off, you'll notice we were in verse 16. And just going back to pick up a couple of things, you don't have to flip there, up there on the top screen. We'll start in 16 in just a moment. But what has happened is Paul has been prohibited by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has told him, no, you can't go to this area, or no, this is not the time. The Bible does not explain why he was prohibited from going there. But understand this, God has his reasons God knows when the fruit is ripe. He knows when the sickle needs to put in for the harvest. And God also knows who needs to be there and what needs to be shed or shared better. But shed, I guess that could work in that situation too. But anyway, he knows what needs to be shared. And for you and me, I want you to think about this. Anyone can go and share the gospel with somebody and we're expected to. But also understand this, through your life, God has raised you up for such a time as this. Regardless of what you might think of yourself, regardless of what you might think about your talents or your ability, the fact is, is that what God has done in your life, what Jesus Christ has done in your life, whether I see the situation that I want to go involved, get involved in that or somebody else, God may prohibit me for whatever reason. You know why? Because he chose you to go and share your story. He chose you to go because you know best. You may not understand what, let me say this, all of us, we may not understand what that person has been through, but God does. And your situation and what Jesus has been bringing you through or has brought you through or both may be exactly what that person needs to hear. So don't discount just because the Holy Spirit says no in a given situation doesn't mean that you're not fulfilling the will of God. It means that God knows. And God knows when that person's ready and when they need to hear. But that being said, what happens to Paul, even though he's prohibited, Paul and Silas, from going to a particular place, he has a vision. See, God had a place where Paul needed to go, and that was going to be to Macedonia. And there were going to be many people that were going to be touched, but in particular in the Scripture, we've got Miss Lydia. Miss Lydia being a seller of purple, and that's put in there because that was a very expensive commodity there. And so she winds up being saved, giving her heart to Christ. And I just want you to hear this. You don't have to put it on the screen. But it says, now a certain woman named Lydia, this is in 14, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city there who worshiped God. Notice that. She's not a convert yet, but she worshiped the Lord. Understand that the people that were in, this goes back to the whole Jew-Gentile thing, but you look at it, these people, many of them 
were worshipers and lovers of God. They looked forward to the time of God's salvation. They were longing for the anointed one to come, the Christ, the Messiah. And now that he has come, God is making sure that these people get to hear about Christ Jesus. Had they not heard about him firsthand, they're getting to hear about him right now. And so Paul goes, and this woman hears, and it says in here, it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Did you hear that phrasing? Open the heart. Do you know what that, that, that's, that's a neat way of saying? The Holy Spirit has granted repentance. Now you say, well, doesn't God call us all? Yeah, at some point he does. He calls all. Well, the, 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 I guess you'd say the invitation of Christ goes out to all regardless, for God so loved the world. But what God has done is in this situation, he has made sure that our heart is open to hear and to receive. It is the Holy Spirit working upon her heart so that she might hear what is said. It sinks deep into her, and so she becomes a believer. And it says when she and her entire household, they're saved, they're baptized, and they persuade Paul, said, look, please stay with her. If you judge me to be somebody who loves the Lord, please stay with me. And of course, Paul does. But then whenever he leaves there, I want you to see something that happens. So God bless the reading of his word, starting, praise you, Jesus. In verse 16, it says, now as it happened, okay, now it happened, as he went to prayer, though Paul's going to pray, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now, we talked about this a little bit before, but this, this is the real deal. This isn't a charlatan. What the Bible is telling us is that she is possessed. And by the way, if you are a Bible scholar, you're one of those folks that really wants to know what's going on behind the scene, the scripture actually says she was possessed by a spirit of a python. The reason being is the oracle of Delphi that was there of Apollo was in that area where Apollo had killed a serpent. But anyway, the idea was those that served in that area would be possessed by this a serpent spirit that would share fortune tale, that would do these things. So she's claiming, or they're claiming, she's the real thing. And Paul indicates the same thing, that she's the actual deal. This woman is demonically empowered, and because she is a slave girl, she's bringing much profit to her owners who are using and abusing her just like the demonic spirit is. So anyway, they encounter this girl in verse 17. Praise you, Jesus. It says, the girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, and I want you to hear exactly the phrasing here. It says, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Okay. Does anybody see a problem with this? I mean, honestly, it doesn't sound like they're saying anything bad. This girl is saying, okay, these are the men. They're, they're servants of the living God, the most high God, actually. And it says, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, something else in here. Hold on before we go back and address it. Verse 18, it says, and this she did for what? Many days. And Paul being greatly annoyed. Okay, now I want you to understand. Annoyed can be one of those strange words to you and me where we say, you know, yeah, I guess the person annoyed me a little bit. No, 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 no. This term is Paul's had enough. He is greatly annoyed. He is angered because of this situation. He, he's done with it. So he's putting up with this for a time period 
But in my opinion, now I've heard scholars differ on this a little bit, but I think it bears out, and I will tell you that I think that this is an intelligent, albeit I don't have many intelligent moments in my life, but still, I think that this is an intelligent guess at what's going on here because of what Paul just said. This woman is basically walking around and mocking them. She's saying, look, these are the men of God. They've come to our area. They're proclaiming to us salvation. And basically, Paul gets tired of it. So Paul, it says, in verse 18, he says, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, notice to the Spirit, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out at that very hour. At that moment, the Spirit leaves. Okay, now for you and me, a great miracle has taken place. The kingdom of darkness has reared its ugly head, and Paul just simply, in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of our Savior, he raises that name, and in that name, this spirit is exercised, expelled. That means forced out. When you exercise a spirit, it's not that the spirit is sitting there going, okay, yeah, I don't think about it. You know, no. It literally means that the spirit, is, his authority is taken away from him, and it's like grabbing him and thrusting him out. He doesn't have a choice. He is being rebuked, commanded to leave. It's where we get this term compelled from. So he's leaving whether he likes it or not. So Paul, going through this region, wanting to proclaim the gospel... He is being plagued by this demon. So now he casts out the spirit. Most people should have looked at that and said, wow. Except for the people that are making money off of it, and that's going to be a problem. So, verse 19, it says, But when our master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Okay? They exceedingly trouble our city. Why? And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Let me tell you something. That is a truthful statement. Historically, that is a truthful statement. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I may bore you here, but... You probably aren't uninitiated to being bored by me anyway, but hear what I'm saying. In Rome, this is how it worked. People say, well, they had many gods that they worshipped. Absolutely. It's something that progressed from the Greeks and many other surrounding cultures. They allowed you to worship. As a matter of fact, the emperor himself was worshipped. They practiced emperor worship, and that's some of the things that the apostles, as well as other Christians throughout history, got in trouble for because they would not bow the knee. If you go back even to the Old Testament between the Hebrew... Uh, uh, young men who were thrown into the fiery furnace, that's what they did. They would not worship the king. Well, many people would not engage in emperor worship. But here's the deal. In Rome, your religion had to be recognized. Now, this is going to sound all fancy and everything, but in Latin, this is the way it works. You had a religio licitas, which means a licit religion that would be recognized. Judaism or Judaism was recognized. Christianity was a religio illicitas, which means it was an illicit religion. It was not recognized. And therefore, Christians were considered. Now, this is going to seem strange as well, but hear me out. Christians were considered, Christians 
were considered atheists. Now you're looking at me and saying, whoa, 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 that makes no sense whatsoever. Oh yes, follow Roman logic here. It's really good. The idea was, is if you worship anything that was not recognized by Rome, that wasn't a licit religion, then you were considered godless. You had no God. It wasn't recognized by Rome. Go figure. But whenever they persecuted you, you would be persecuted as an atheist as well. Let me give you an example from history. If you know who Polycarp is, Polycarp was a disciple of John himself, John the Apostle. So this is a person that did not necessarily meet Christ, but he knew a disciple of Jesus himself. Polycarp was discipled by John, so he knew an apostle. He had that, you know, maybe not directly from Jesus' mouth, but one of the people that loved him was very close to him, even laid his head on the chest of Jesus. One of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Whenever they went to kill, that is to martyr Polycarp, they looked at him and said, you know, called him an atheist, said, all you have to do, Polycarp, is look over here at these people over here, lift up your hands to the Christians and say, away with the atheist. Okay? So Rome's over here. Here they are over here. All he had to do was say, away with the atheist, and they would have spared his life. They told him that, and this is what he did. He lifted up his hands, looked at Rome, and said, okay, away with the atheist. Oh, yeah, and they killed him. (laughs) I mean, they did. But understand, that's the idea about what's being said here. So whenever... You know, they're they're saying that it's unlawful for them to share this. They're being sincere. It was not recognized. It was not until much later under Constantine that Christianity got that status of a licit religion, if not the preferred religion of Roman Empire. Now, let me explain that to you. People say, well, under Constantine, they became Christian. No, Christian became the preferred religion. Okay, there were still many other worshipers that were out there. So moving on. That's your uh, seminary for tonight. All right. So what they do is they say it's not lawful for them to do this. Now they're dragging them away. And then it says something happened in verse 22. The multitude rose up together against them, catch the words, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. I want you to remember that. They go to them. They have grabbed them. They're now tearing off the clothes of the people. Keep that in the back of your mind tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid what? Many stripes. They beat the pudding out of them. It says, it laid many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Now, as many of you already know, Paul, not only here, but even a little later, is going to make a statement. He's going to say that he is a Roman citizen. He is, because where he was born, they were recognized to to bear the citizenship of Rome in that empire. So Paul being Rome, he was uh, being in that area, was recognized as a Roman citizen. He was. Now let me share something. Does does anybody remember, well, you don't have to lift up your hand, but there was a trial between Cicero and Varys, okay? And what happened is this is what Varys has done. Varus has taken a person that he got ticked off with. I'll spare you all the details, uh, mainly because I don't know all the details, but there's some stuff in here, but not to belabor a point. 
What he does is he has a guy that he's laying hold of, and he is going to have this fellow crucified. And what the fellow does is he cries out that he's a Roman citizen, but Ferris has him, I guess you would say, restrained in some way. So his freedom is taken away. And ultimately, he has this fellow beaten, whatever else has happened to him, and he's crucified. One of the things that you need to know, you didn't crucify Romans. I mean, it was a rarity for that to happen. Did it happen? Yeah, I think a few times. But by and large, you just didn't do it. The reason being is crucifixion was just reserved for the dregs of humanity, slaves, the worst of criminals and things like that. Those were the ones that were crucified because they were considered lower than low. Which, by the way, does that give new meaning to the crucifixion, why Jesus Christ was crucified? The way they looked at him, the way they viewed him, the reason the Father allowed him to be crucified? In the eyes of the people, this person was lower than garbage in the Romans. Okay? So, this happens. But this is what Cicero said. Whenever they brought Varys in and they decided that they were going to try him, he said, to bind. To bind a Roman citizen is criminal. He said to flog him is wickedness. To kill him, okay, would be like murdering someone's father. He said how much more should be done to a person that crucifies a Roman citizen? This gives you an idea of how serious it was to lay hold of a Roman citizen without a trial. Now, if you went before the magistrates and the magistrates said, yeah, you're a wicked, horrible human being, yeah, you could be beat, and occasionally they were flogged. Flogging, I mean beating bad. I'm talking about what happened to Christ. That would be scourging. Okay? You just didn't do that to Romans. But now Paul has been taken, drugged to a place They tear his clothes off, beat him and Silas with rods, and throw him into an inner prison. Ladies and gentlemen, or let me put it this way, Houston, we have a problem, a really big problem. But notice, Paul hasn't been yelling this out. I'm a Roman, I'm a Roman, I'm a Roman. So it says, after they told him to throw him into prison, they put him into prison, it says here, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. In verse 24, having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In other words, he was going to make sure these people were angry. And so he was going to make sure in the innermost prison, they were not getting out. They're even put in the stocks. Now, something absolutely beautiful happened. Something that shows the transformation of Christ Jesus by his Holy Spirit, happens to Paul and Silas. See, to me, the miracle is this right here. It is a small thing for God to open up chains and shackles and doors and things like that. Take a look at the human heart here. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Did you get it? Now, what would you and I be doing? Let's be perfectly honest here. God don't love me. I've been out here loving Jesus. I've been out here doing all sorts of stuff with kicking stone, or excuse me, I'm in shackles. That's the best I can do while I'm in stocks and everything. 
I've been holy. I've been this. I've been faithful. And what do I get for it? I get beat senseless. I got beaten with rods. I'm a Roman. They should know better. But when I get out of here, we, there's going to be trouble. Many of the early church considered it a blessing by God that they were accounted worthy to suffer for Jesus, to bear in their bodies the same stripes that Jesus Christ wore. It's a different mind, isn't it? It's a different heart. So they're there at midnight. They're praying, talking to their Savior, and they are singing hymns to God. And catch the next part. And the prisoners were listening to them. They're listening, people. The world's listening. The world's watching. They look at you and me. They do. And I'm not, people, yes. If you think I'm preaching at you, I mully grub. That's okay to say up here in Tennessee, isn't it? Mully grub. And everybody knows what that means, right? Okay, I'm just making sure. I didn't know if I threw a South Carolinian term on you. You know, South Carolinians are weird. Trust you me. We are. So, anyway, we were the first to secede, and they barely got us back in, you know, so we we just trying to pick a fight somewhere. But anyway, but yes, I would be a mully grubber. I understand that sometimes my feelings get hurt, and I mumble over in the corner, and the Lord has to pick me up, dust me off, and say, it's okay there, little buddy, keep it going. Pat me on the tutu and just send me on the way, and I'm good. But what I am saying is that the people around us watch us. When you make a, take a stand, or even make a stand for that matter, to be a Christian, the world watches. The enemy, Satan, will make sure that they watch. And they just want to see you mess up. They want to see you be just like everybody else. And the truth is, is we're humans just like everybody else. But what happens when we stand firm? What happens when we look at our God and we have pain and we have the hurt that is in our lives, but we still look up to heaven and say, Father, I don't understand it. It could be absolutely mind-numbing, spirit-numbing, life-tearing is going on. And you still look up at your God and you say, you know what? I don't understand it, but I love you. And I know that you went through far worse than I ever dreamed about. Condemned an innocent man. Condemned the Son of God. And God, I just want to love you. I just want to love you and I just want to be light. Well, they're there in the prison and they start singing. They're praying, talking to the Lord, calling out on his name, probably worshiping in prayer. And then they start singing these hymns and they're starting to love God. And, you know, we think about hymns today, but think about them back then. Many times they're probably singing the psalms of worship to their God. Those that are recorded in Scripture. And so they're worshiping God, and everybody's listening to them. Verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, there is a sermon right there. I don't know if you got it, but you could teach forever just off that one scripture. But I want you to think about it because of their love. You say, well, God was going to deliver them. Have you ever thought that this came as a result of their worship of God? 
Have you ever thought that this was a response as they were praying? Not so much, Father, just get me out of this situation, but a worship of love. Because think about it. It wasn't just Paul and Silas that were set free. Did you catch that? It's not all the doors open. The shackles are falling off of people. Now, one thing that would be similar, people say, well, I'd have just got up and run out. Nah, I don't know. If there would have been an earthquake and all of a sudden all the doors open and shackles fall off me, I'd probably sat there for a little while too. You leaving? I ain't leaving. I don't know what's going on. Me neither. I ain't about to leave this place. I don't know what's happening. Send him out there. <laughs> you know, the expendable crew member, you just kind of go out there and see what's going on. Come on, be brave. Okay. So everyone's chains were loose. Verse 27. And it says, And the keeper of the prison says he awakened from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had all fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He knew that what was going to happen to him was going to be uh, far worse than just dying. All these people escaped on his watch. Mm-mm. It's one thing for, certain, for a person to fight with you, but then everybody to be freed? Verse 28, but Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. Do, no, do yourself no harm, but do not harm yourself for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. You think? I'd have had some questions myself. He probably heard them praying and talking to the Lord. So he, he's trembling. Verse 30, it says, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, I love this, what must I do to be saved? Now, you want to learn where these Christian terms come from, saved? There's an example. What do I need to do to be saved? How do I need, what do I need to do to have what you have to become right in the eyes of God? Because we don't have anything. Listen to me. We don't have anything in Rome that's like this. We've got more gods than Kellogg's. Now, I'm talking about little G's. We've got more gods in Rome than Kellogg's got cornflakes, okay? But none of them can do what the Lord does. What do I need to do to have that? Verse 31. Catch the gospel being preached here. It says, so they said, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in, the, in his house. Now think about that for a minute. The message in a nutshell is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever believes in him. And the scripture literally says into him, that is not believing about him, but giving ourselves over to him. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So they're telling him, you need Jesus. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to know who Jesus is. And therefore he gets them together and he preaches to them. They preach and share Jesus. So it says in verse 33, and he took them that same hour the same hour of that night, and he washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. So they received the word of God. They, uh, the jailer is taking care of their wounds, so they were beat pretty bad. 
And then the household is baptized, showing to the entire world we belong to Jesus, buried with him in baptism, absolutely, and raised to walk in the newness of life, of his life. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with his whole household. And here's another thing, the joy of the salvation. Notice, they had come to Christ. He had witnessed this miracle. But think about this. Through this tragedy, through this suffering of Paul and Silas, where we would have probably been kicking rocks around and very angry, look at what's happened. The people in the jail witnessed this miracle. They witnessed the jailer. They see the jailer coming to Christ. They too may have come to Christ. The Bible does not record that necessarily. But you're seeing salvation that comes out of this. And this fellow is now rejoicing. The very people that were set over him. Think about it. These are the people that, that beat him and did all this stuff to him. He's part of that group, if not one of the ones that did it. But either way, you see after it's said and done, the love that they have. As the Bible says, through Jesus Christ's stripes, we are healed. Look at what happened through their stripes. If that means somebody escapes hell, nobody wants to be beat. If you looked at Paul and said, Paul, hey, would you like to go get scourged today? No, it's really not I on my menu. But if the Lord will use it to save a soul, amen. Okay. So let's take a look at verse 35. Let's see what happens now. We're coming close to the closing here, but it says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent to the officer saying, Okay, let them go. We've got them where we want them. We've taught them a lesson. Now you just tell them to get on. In other words, like looking at a dog saying, Now you go on now. You get. Tell them to get out. Verse 36. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. He tells them, says, You're free to go, fellas. Go ahead and leave. Okay. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. Catch the word. Romans. Well, Paul's like, ho, ho, ho. He said, I'm so glad for you and your household. I'm so happy for everybody else. But uh, no, I don't think this is going to fly. So they have beaten us Romans unmercifully. We didn't have a trial. So he says, uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. In other words, absolutely not. He said, let them come themselves and get us out. Okay, And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. You know why? You know what the penalty is for doing that? Death. They knew if they were brought before the magistrates now, they'd be killed. You'd have to be somebody special to get out of that one. So anyway... So they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and they were pleading. They pleaded with them. And brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. In other words, please, please go. So they went out of the prison and entered into the house of, here it comes again, did you catch it? Lydia. 
Lydia shows back up. The one who had given her life to Christ, her and her household, the seller of purple, she shows back up again, and she is receiving the apostles. So anyway, it says, they go into the house of Lydia, and, what, and they were there with the brethren. They encouraged them, and they departed. So they see the brethren. And this is another thing, and, and we'll pause there. But anyway, this is another thing that happens in the church time and time again. And I think it's something that, that we don't recognize as much today, that we need encouragement. You know, we might say, well, they're apostles. They were going to continue on, continuing on, no matter what. They're human beings. And as a matter of fact, by virtue of their calling, it's kind of like whenever I became a police officer. See, before I became a police officer, if you said something ugly, nasty, threatened me or did anything to me, it was fine. I called the police up and said, you know, whoop up on them. It was fine. They couldn't do that to me. The day I became a police officer, they told me, said, the U.S. Supreme Court has said by virtue of your profession that you were expected to put up with a greater amount of abuse than anybody else. I said, what does that mean? They said, if they want to cuss you and say anything they want about you, as long as they're not infringing on the peace of anybody else, you have to take it. I was like, what? I said, well, can I whoop up on them? They said, nope. <laughs> so, anyway, by virtue of their calling as apostles, they put up with such a greater amount of abuse than most people for Christ. And they needed encouragement. They needed prayer. Paul would ask time again, pray for me that boldness will be granted to me. Any person that has ever ministered to another person, any person that God has ever sent, they know the difference between the mantle of the Holy Spirit being upon their lives and trying to go it alone. You try to go out there, and let me tell you something, the Spirit of God is always there for you, but follow me on this. There's also other spirits that are out there that are warring against you and warring against the souls of other people, trying to make sure that these people do not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are kept in the chains of darkness, that they have worked a long time to imprison and put people in bondage for. And you come in there and you don't think they want to fight you. Absolutely, they'll fight you. They will discourage you before you stand up to say a word. They will share something with you that you just can't get off your mind. They're doing everything they can to distract you because they do not want you operating. Are you ready for this? In unison, in accord with God. Because when God is with you, who can be against you? If God is with you, there is not anyone who is able to stand against you. Oh, they can try to do whatever they want to, but what God says, God will do. And there's not a power in hell and heaven and earth that can stop God. He is God. But you don't want to go it alone. And as apostles, called by God, they don't want to stand up and having been in the flesh that day because something's hurt their feelings or something's happened or they're, they're just tired, they're worn out. They want to make sure they're operating in the Spirit of God because what God does, He does well. What human beings do, we could have done a little better or a lot better. So you see here the encouragement that they needed by loving somebody and wishing them well and praying for them. I'm going to tell you, I had something the other day. Got so angry. <laughs> got, got my feelings hurt. Had to do with my car. You know how you pay for these extended warranties? No, I'm not going to bore you with it. But you pay for all these extended warranties, and then you find out they're not worth the paper they were printed on sometimes. Just, just bear with me. 
No, my car is 300 years old. I don't even think they make parts for it anymore. But here's the deal. I've enjoyed that warranty for many years, but I got discouraged because they tell me they can't fix this, they can't fix that. And, you know, I'm trying to go on vacation, do all this kind of stuff. But anyway, so I'm discouraged. And I walked down the hall because I had even told the man on the phone, I said, look, I understand why you exist fellow says to me, we exist to help our customers. I said, no, sir, you exist to make money. That is the definition of a business. Now, you might want to give good service, but your business exists to make money. I mean, let's, let's just go ahead and not, we can cut through all the stuff. But anyway, so whenever it was said and done, I come walking back through. And when I'm walking back through, I hear the words, hey, pastor. And I look over there, and there's Pastor Saul. And he said, how are you doing? I said, Saul, I wish I could tell you I was encouraged right now, but I am not. And I said, would you pray for me? And he said, yes, but can I pray in Spanish? I said, it don't matter the language, brother. I said, you can pray in tongues if you want to. I said, I need prayer. And so what he does is he grabbed my hand and he started praying. And he kept praying. Boy, he's going at this stuff, and I'm listening to his voice. And I said, I don't know what in the world he's saying, but it's good. I mean, I just knew it was good. You know, he's going, I'm like, woo, go ahead, lay it on there. And by the time he was done, I had even told Miss Beverly, a little later on in the day, I walked by, I was encouraged. I was happy. I needed that for that day. We all need to be encouraged. As simple as that example was, we all need to be encouraged. So as the worship team is coming... I want to give you an opportunity to respond if you need to or if anybody needs special prayer. Can I wave at your wife? Way better. She sneaks in the back. And you know, that's so sweet of you to walk down there and be with her. That's nice. You know, he's all right, isn't he? Tonight, if the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, if you need special prayer or anything like that, the altars are open. The altars, as we say, are here for you. It's the altar of your Father for you to be able to lay down burdens, anything that you need. So tonight, if you need some encouragement, you need some prayer, okay, the altars are open. Stand, kneeling, even sitting on the front row, whatever your needs are, your Father is here for you. We'd love to pray for you. We're always available. Let's respond as God speaks to us, if you please stand. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, It is well, it is 
could have some of the deacons come forward at this time, we're going to be praying for Mr. Billy Joe. I won't call you Billy Joel this time. But, uh, and his lovely, lovely wife, Miss Charlotte. And uh, I'll tell you what. Was it his mom and dad or was it the two of you that did so well on Evan? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> You're not going to say. <laughs> it was the Lord. I like that. She deferred. But I'm going to tell you, that's a fine young man there. It really is. Now, you might say, what are we praying for? We're going to be praying for his arm. He had an injury to it. I won't go into the specifics of what happened. I will just tell you this. It would have killed a lesser man. Would, <laughs> now, some of you are going to get that in about two seconds. I saw some the men back there laughed immediately. He's like, what's he talking about? I'm just saying he's a strong man. As a matter of fact, it's sometimes hard, and I won't say anything here directly, but let's just say sometimes it's hard to even get them to the doctor because in this time and in this period, these are the kind of people that whenever they're out working or doing something and they break something, they put tape on it. That's what they did. We're just going to tape this up right here. Uh, But your arms fell off. Yeah, that's okay. That's what duct tape's for. As long as I don't move over 200 miles an hour, the arm will stay on there, and they'll say, I'll get to the hospital next week once I get this work done. Okay, tell me there's not some truth in that. (laughs) Well, we're going to pray for you, my brother. And according to the word of God, the Bible says that there is any sick among us. And you're having surgery on Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Okay. So this coming Tuesday, the Bible says that there are any sick among us to let them call for the elders of the church and to pray for them. And the Bible says that if we anoint them with oil and that we pray the prayer of faith, that God would hear that prayer and that he, prayer and that he would heal the sick and if they committed any sins, they'd be forgiven. So right now, my brother, we anoint you as your family in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's symbolic of God's Spirit resting upon you. We now bless you, my brother, in Jesus' name. The blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ the grace of Almighty God, the healing virtue of our Savior, may it be yours. God, please touch our brother. We ask you to heal him and to restore his arm. We ask for wisdom and excellence for these doctors as they become an extension of your hand in blessing and healing my brother. Please, by your spirit, God, keep him. Bless him. Heal him, Father. Heal him in Jesus' name by the power of your cross, by the resurrection of your son, through his shed blood and victory. Bless him and keep him in Jesus' name healing. Amen and amen. All right. Well, sir, I have no doubt that you are going to be just fine. As a matter of fact, I don't think they can kill you no matter what they do. But anyway, the Lord bless you. And today I would say the same thing for everyone that's here. In Jesus' name, God's blessings upon you and keep you this week. Shine every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Love somebody before you leave.